checks throughout the, the winter and spring months to help fund their trip. And of course, one of the great ways to do that is to come and hang out with your friends on the 20th and have a great time doing chili, doing wings. Maybe we'll make a sauce so hot that we'll have to sign a waiver to eat it. I'm thinking about that. I had some ghost pepper cheese recently. That almost ruined my year, and so I was glad that things changed over, but I'm, I'm thinking about that just because I think we should. Anyhow, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife had a rather inspired idea. She decided that as the kids got older, they needed a ping pong table. So we were going to do that as a combined gift for Christmas, and we're pretty thrifty, so we weren't going to pay for a brand new one. So we got on Marketplace. We found one uh, down in Norton, and so one night we, we had our older kids babysit, and we, we went down the, down the pike a little bit to get this ping pong table. I recognized it wasn't going to fit in our minivan that we were going to have to deconstruct it, so I brought every conceivable tool that I might need in order to deconstruct this ping pong table. And so we got it out of this lady's garage, and we got it into the driveway, and I was very careful as I disassembled it, because I've learned a few things in life. I'm no longer as big an idiot as I once was, and so I was very careful taking this thing apart. I had baggies for everything, and all the bolts and all the nuts and all the things that I was going to need to put, put back together, and I took it apart painstakingly out in this driveway. We got it in the car. We got it home. I laid it flat on its face, because I was going to reassemble all the legs and all the, all the fold-up mechanisms. And so there was a lot of different connections, but the, the, the main connection were these six brackets that were about this big that went over the legs and, and connected them onto the table. And so I turned on my Bing Crosby. I got everything out. I got all my tools out, and I, 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 I was actually standing on the bottom of the table because it was face down, and I started reassembling this thing. And I grabbed that first bracket, and I put it down on the, on the, on the leg that it was holding, and I saw that inside the bracket was a channel. I thought, what's that for? I don't remember seeing that in the dark of that lady's driveway. A and so I'm looking at it, and then it occurs to me, oh, this thing folds up. So this channel needs to be there in order for this, for this bolt to go through it when it folds up. And I thought, but which way do the channels face? I looked at it, and I looked at it some more. And then a brilliant thought came into my head. I'm living in the 21st century. Why don't I just grab the, the model number and the, and, the, and, the brand number and the brand off of this ping pong table, I'll throw it in my Google machine, and I'll pull up the instructions on how to assemble it. It was a brilliant idea, except I didn't listen to that voice. I thought, no, 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 I'm smart enough for this. That's going to be too much work. What if I can't find it right away? What if this is an older model? That will annoy me. And I can certainly figure out which, which bolt goes in which bracket. And so I, I, I chose a path. And I followed that path for 45 minutes as I reassembled this thing. And then I called Gina, Gina, come on down. Let's do this. Let's flip this thing over. And so she comes on down the stairs. And I'm, she's like, you know what, Matt? I think we're going to have to fold it up for it to flip over. I'm like, that's good. It's got these channels and these brackets. I figured this thing out. So we begin to fold this thing. And we are and she goes, stop! <coughs> You're going to break this thing. And I said, yeah, we are. <laughs> I chose poorly. So I realized that I would put the brackets on backwards, so I was going to have to flip all six of them around. I was a little bit frustrated, but that's all right. I, I still had Bing Crosby and Nat King Cole playing, and I thought, another 45 minutes, what's that? So I disassembled the whole thing. I flipped the brackets all the way around. I put it back together. And before I had started, I had that fleeting thought again, maybe I should get the instructions. But of course, I didn't listen to that voice because I'm smart, and that would have been too much work. So I flipped all six brackets around. I said, Gina, it's done. Let's fold this thing up and flip it over. She comes down the stairs. 
stop, you're going to break it for a second time. And then it occurs to me, oh, maybe I was only supposed to flip three brackets. I'm not going to tell you the rest of this story. Long story short, <laughs> it became a very long story. I, I should have just looked up the instructions. But to me, in my brain, for just a few fleeting stupid moments, I thought to myself, that's too much work. I'm smart enough. I can figure out how this thing works. I got this. I don't need the instructions. And I almost ruined the gift. In fact, I, I needed a save from my neighbor to come and give me a hand. We're moving into this year, and we've been talking about, since the beginning of the school year, what a fully formed disciple looks like. Jesus called us to make disciples, not just believers, not just church attenders, but people who actually look like Jesus, act like Jesus, make an impact in the world like Jesus. That's what Christians should be making, other disciples. And the reason we're talking about this is because last year, our leadership took time to develop what we thought were 15 principles or hallmark of who a disciple is, what a disciple is, what a disciple does. And the reason we did that is because later on in the spring, we're going to be unrolling or, and un unveiling a mentorship program where we help people become disciples. And so we're preaching through that this year. So that, that, that's the whole idea. Now, what we're talking about in the weeks to come is, is just a very simple concept that a fully formed disciple studies the Bible. Just, just a very simple concept. You can't be a fully formed follower of Jesus unless you are studying in the act of studying the Bible, studying the scriptures, studying the word of God, which over the course of the next three weeks I'll use interchangeably, word of God, scriptures, Bible, I'm going to use those terms interchangeably. Why do Christians need to do such a thing? Why can't we just listen to Pastor Matt and say, that's my Bible for the week? Well, Jesus said that not the cross of a T or the dot of an I is going to be erased from the law and prophets, that's the Old Testament, until everything has been fulfilled that needs to be fulfilled in God's holy history. Paul tells us, and in the book of Timothy, he tells us that in the second book, first book of Timothy, that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, reproofing, and training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be fully equipped for every good work. So if you want to do the good works which God put you on the planet to do, you need to read the instructions. And then my personal favorite, but we may need to be going there in the weeks to come, is Hebrews chapter 4, that tells us that the word of God is living and active and is sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates dividing between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart, meaning it is the greatest evaluative measure of our attitudes and actions that God has ever given is his word. It's so important that fully formed disciples study the Bible, but we are all at different places as in regards to the scriptures today. There are some of us who are within the sound of my voice who you've heard the Bible. And the hearing of the Bible that, that extends to you is merely what Pastor Matt says on a Sunday morning. That's the only Bible you're getting in your week, is that if I read from the scriptures, which I will always do, and it will always formulate the basis for my sermons, that, that, that you get that much Bible that week. And that, that's merely hearing the word. The, the vast majority of us are people who know some Bible, meaning we've listened to a lot of sermons in our life. Many of us who sit here today, we, we, we perhaps went to Sunday school or went to youth group or went to young adult group, and we got more Bible and more stories at a place like that. Maybe we have a time or two in our lives gone to a life group or a Bible study 
to study on a deeper level. Maybe once in a while we read a book of the Bible like John or Mark, or we start Genesis, but then quit when we get to Leviticus, and we, we know some Bible. But if, if, if somebody were to really evaluate our lives, they, do you study the Word of God? You'd have to be like, no. No, I read it sometimes. But, but reading it sometimes is not the same as studying it. Because studying implies that you are trying to understand it to the point that you can integrate it. See, that's what Jesus did. He understood the scriptures to the point of integration. In fact, I would challenge you, for those of you who are beginning to read your Bible a little bit more because it's the new year, I would challenge you to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see just how integrated the word of God was in the ministry of Jesus. He did things because the Bible said so. Because the word of God had spoken to him. And all he had was Genesis through Malachi, which we rarely quote, unless it's a psalm. So Jesus integrated the scriptures. He studied the scriptures. He made sure that the scriptures formed the basis for his understanding. So if we want to be like him, we need to do that. But it's not just about knowledge. In fact, it's not just about becoming a better person. What we're going to see in Matthew chapter 4 today is a huge concept, one that I don't think many of us have ever thought about before, and it is this. We cannot become the people who we are supposed to be unless we have studied and integrated the word of God into our lives. Jesus couldn't do it, so neither can you. Jesus studied and integrated the word of God into his life to such an extent, and we're going to see this in Matthew chapter 4 today, that it was the basis for him being able to do what God had put him on the planet to do. So I put that in a negative way. Let me put it in a positive way. Now that we've identified a bit of a threat, we study the Bible as Christians because it helps us become who we were born to be. And you're not going to get there without it because the world's too tough. The enemy is too wily. Temptations are too great. Misunderstandings are too rampant in order to not study this thing with an eye towards understanding and integrating it. And Jesus did not pass the first test of his life without having this in his back pocket. We're going to see Jesus begin to become the person that he was born to be in Matthew chapter 4. And his weapon, his tool, the way through which he can become the person that God had put him on this planet to be, was the word of God. I'll stop trying to make the case to you. Let's see if the word of God can make the case to you. Are you in Matthew chapter 4? Verse 1 and following. We're going to read 11 verses today. We know this is the temptation of Christ. Just after being baptized, the Bible says this, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and their hands will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, 
Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Before we unpack this story this morning, I want to ask you a simple question. Who's the source? We have a book written by a disciple named Matthew, someone who walked and talked with Jesus. Who told him this story? He wasn't there. None of the other disciples was there. It was Jesus. So important to the story of who Jesus was and what he was doing in the world, Jesus told this story to his disciples as a rabbi would, over and over and over again until they can repeat it verbatim. That's what a disciple did. They listened to the teachings of their rabbi. Matthew listened to this story from Jesus, whether it be around the campfire or out in the boat or on the hillside, wherever Jesus was telling this, Jesus needed his disciples to know, to hear, and to understand this story. Because this testing is the test that will allow Jesus to pass all other tests. This testing is the test by which Jesus will be able to become who he was born to be. And it's right here in the text already. And this is why it's so important that we study the Bible. Let's say, for instance, that you had studied the entire book of Matthew. All the things that Matthew, the gospel writer, is trying to convey to you about Jesus. You would know that the language here in the tempting and testing of Jesus in the wilderness is akin to the language about the cross. For instance, this question that the devil raises to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, gets levied again to Jesus when? When he's hanging on the cross. If you are the Son of God, why don't you come down from there? Secondly, the next time Jesus is talking about legions and groups of angels, the way the devil is saying, if you threw yourself down off this temple, angels would come and rescue you, Jesus says from the cross again, if I so desired, legions of angels would come to my rescue at this moment. I could use that type of power. The very power that Satan's trying to get him to use here in the wilderness and then at the pinnacle of the temple, he says, I could use that power. I'm not going to. And this be gone, Satan, are the same words in the Greek that are used when Peter says to Jesus later on in this same book, Jesus, you will not go to the cross. Jesus, you are not going to die that grisly death that you're talking about. That shall not happen to you. And what are the famous words that Jesus says to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Hupago, Satan, get out of here. Same construction. Same construction. Just an extra added word with the word behind when he talks to Peter. This temptation is all about the cross. It's all about the main idea. It's all about the big thing that Jesus is going to have to do. It's everything we sang in song one and song three today. Everything that Jesus was put on the planet to do necessitated this testing because Jesus needed to do it God's way. Jesus was going to have to do hard, hard things in his life, and he was going to have to be tested to make sure that he was prepared for that. And that's what this is all about. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, the Spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness. So who's sending Jesus to be tempted? God the Father, through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Who shows up when he gets there? Satan. See, God is sending Jesus out to be tested, because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. 
we know that God will test us in order to bring about the things in our lives that need to be brought about for his kingdom. But Satan can't help but take the bait. Satan takes it into the realm of temptation. Testing is what God allows to happen in our lives that we may be fully formed, perfect and complete, as James chapter 1 says. Temptation, though, is something different. Temptation happens when the testing allows us to hear the voice of the world, hear the voice of the flesh, hear the voice of Satan, and then go outside the bounds of God's testing. We're going to go ahead and do it in a way that God did not intend. And that's what Satan tries to do here. Temptation is an enticement of a God-given desire beyond God-given bounds. And that's what happens right here. Three tests are given to Jesus, or three temptations, depending on how you look at it. These are either three tests from the Father or three tests from Satan, depending on how you look at it. The word perazo in the Greek is the same for test and temptation. We're not quite sure how to look at it. Some of your Bible said to go into the wilderness to be tempted. Some of your Bible say to go into the wilderness to be tested. Regardless of what takes place here, God has an intent and Satan has an intent for the life of Jesus. Which one will he choose is the big one. Now before we go one step further, let me ask you a question. Having read this passage with me today, all of you are smart people. All of you can read the context. How does Jesus fight back? against the enemy who wants him to fail. He uses the word of God. It's already understood. It's already integrated. So he can use it to pass the test. Let's see how he does that in three different ways. Three tests that Jesus has to pass. The first test is the rights test. The test of rights. Do you have a right to do something outside the bounds of what God has called you to do? The enemy comes to Jesus and says to Jesus, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, why don't you command these stones to become bread? Now, that's a real temptation. I know the first day that I fast is a great day. I'm really excited about it. I'm like, oh, my head's getting clear. I can pray. I can hear the voice of God. This is wonderful. I'm getting all the toxins out of my system. And then day two, I get hangry. I I, I start to get angry and hungry all at the same time. And the fast, whatever, however long God's called me to the fast, it begins to become a little bit of a drudgery. I'm not as happy in day two. Jesus is on day 40. Why has God called him to this? Because God needs Jesus to come to the end of himself and obey in all things. Jesus is going to have to do much harder things than not eat for 40 days. Much harder things. God needs to put Jesus in the position that he can obey and obey and obey and obey and obey and obey and obey. And the 40 days is symbolic, but it's also important. It was Moses up on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights as the law of Moses was given. Jesus is bringing the new covenant of grace, and therefore, 40 days and 40 nights without food. Now, what the Bible implies is that God has told him, don't eat until I tell you to eat. Do not stop your fast until I stop your fast. Because the Spirit has driven him into the wilderness. That's why this is a temptation. Satan comes and says, if you are the Son of God, why don't you make some bread? Now, Satan knows who Jesus is. He knows he's the Son of God. Jesus knows who Jesus is. Jesus knows he's the Son of God. So what is the enemy appealing to? If you are the Son of God, if you are, This important in the universe, you have every right to command that stone to become bread. 
You've done enough. It doesn't matter what the Father told you to do. It doesn't matter how long he told you to hold out. You've done enough. You're just as important as he is. Why would you put yourself through this any further? You have a right to stop this at any time. Think about that in terms of the cross for just a minute, what we've just discussed. You have the right, Son of God, to stop this obedience to God at any moment. No one would judge you. No one would think ill of you. No one would think wrong of you. You fasted now for 40 days. Go ahead. And what does Jesus say to him? Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's saying, you don't understand, Satan. I've already integrated that the word I hear and the word I read are one and the same. And therefore, I have a suspicion. I can't prove it. We can ask Jesus in heaven that he'd been saying to himself for 40 days, I don't live on bread alone. I don't live on bread alone. I don't live on bread alone. God called me this fast. I've heard his word, and I know I have to pass this test to pass all other tests. Therefore, I don't live on bread alone. I live according to his word. Bread does not matter as much as obedience. Jesus has integrated the scriptures to such a point that he can pass the rights test. Yes, no one would have judged him. You and I wouldn't. If you looked at me and said, I fasted for a week, I'd be like, wow, good for you. It's amazing. You look at me and say, I fasted for 40 days. And I'll say, that's wonderful. Don't breathe on me. But that's wonderful that you've done that, right? But, but in this particular case, Jesus, in human terms, has every right to say, I'm done. But he's heard the word of the Lord. And he had the word of the Lord. That whatever God says is more important, even than physical sustenance. Because the scripture informs his action. He passes the rights test. The second test is the boss test, which I also have entitled the reverence test. Satan takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple and says, throw yourself down. Now catch this, because Satan says, the Bible says that you can throw yourself down. He'll give angels charge over you, and he won't let you get hurt. <laughs> Go ahead. Did anybody catch this? Satan is quoting scripture. Now, if you can't quote any scripture, that means that the devil knows more Bible than you. Which is terrifying if you call yourself a Christian. But Satan knows scripture. But has Satan understood and integrated scripture? Certainly not. He, he's, not gonna, he's not passing the boss test. In fact, he's saying, I will use scripture to be the boss. And Jesus, all I need you to do is use scripture to become the boss. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor Matt? Simply this. Jesus, if you cast yourself down off the temple, God will be compelled to save you. You become the boss. He has to. If you're the son of God and you throw yourself down, you will compel him to act. And Jesus says, I don't compel my father to do anything. See, Jesus passes the boss test by showing reverence for God. I am not going to play fast and loose with the gift of life that God's given me. I will not do that. Do not put the Lord my God to the test. Do not see if he'll do good for me, even though I'm despising my gift of life. I won't play that game. 
And that's all this is. It's a game of bossiness and reverence. It's a little kid who has taken back their toy and trying to prove to the other kid that it's theirs. He's saying, Jesus, go ahead, play around with this gift of life. Let's see how the theology of all this works. Let's get deep into the weeds of theology and see if he'll catch you. Let's see what happens. And isn't that interesting? Satan wants to get into the weeds of theology. He wants us to get into the minutia and just miss the point completely. But that's what he does. He tries to give us just a little bit of scripture, get us theologizing, in order that we become the boss of the scriptures and God is no longer boss of the scriptures. That's it. Get our minds spinning, get our heads going, take a little bit of the word of God because we haven't tried to understand or integrate it, and then we become the boss of this. We become the one who interprets this. Our interpretation becomes king of the universe. And that happens among Christians, it happens among non-Christians. This is something that happens each and every day in our world. We hear people using scriptures in all types of ways in order to be the boss of God. For instance, from the time I was a pastor, a young pastor with young adults to this day, I'll hear people say to me, well, my spirit doesn't feel convicted, therefore I'm not in sin. My spirit doesn't. Now, there's, there's some Bible in there, right? That if we know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and, and if he does live inside of us, it's him that convicts regarding sin and judgment and all those things, John chapter 15. But what if what you're doing is wrong according to the scriptures? My, my spirit doesn't convict me, and therefore, I'm okay. See, you can take a little bit of scripture to become the boss of God. I hear things all the time when people say, well, well, you don't judge me. You're judging. Don't do that. The Bible says don't judge. And I'll say yes. The context of that particular verse is make sure that you pull the log out of your own eye before you get the speck out of your brothers or sisters. But all through this book, Christians are looking at Christians saying, I don't think you should do that. That's not good. That's not honoring God. <laughs> Paul at one point opposes Peter to his face. Paul rebukes Peter. So if we just look at this, judge not, you don't judge me. And that's the way we go through life. What are we doing? We're taking the scriptures and saying, I'm the boss of the scriptures. I'm the boss of God. And my favorite one, the, the, one, of, the one of Christians who have no fully formed disciple things going on in their life at all, is God is love. And therefore, if I'm loving people, I'm good with God. You're telling me if you feel a general affinity for your fellow man, Jesus died for that. He didn't die for the sins of the world. He died so that you'd have a nice feeling about people. God is love. And therefore, if I'm loving people, I'm all right with God. And of course, God is love is used in a million other ways to justify certain actions. Long story short, we can take a little bit of scripture to become the boss of God, and that's what the enemy's trying to get Jesus to do. And Jesus won't take the bait, because the Bible tells him to revere the Lord his God, not to put him to the test. Jesus passes the second test. The third test, all subtlety is gone. The devil takes Jesus up on a high mountain and shows him a vision of all the kingdoms of the world and go, they're yours. 
You can have everything this world has to offer. Do you want it? Now, you might say, I can't imagine how that would be enticing for Jesus. We certainly can imagine how that might be enticing for us, right? But we can't imagine how that would be enticing for Jesus unless we think a little bit deeper. What is the enemy offering Jesus? All the best life has to offer and no cross. Do you think it could have flitted across the mind of our Savior, who was tempted in every way such as we yet was without sin, to say, you know what, I could save this thing without having to die for their sins. I could become the greatest ruler that this world has ever known, full of justice and righteousness and mercy. And I won't have to experience pain, and I won't have to experience betrayal, and I won't have to experience torture, I won't have to experience death on the cross. All I have to do is take the best the world has to offer. See, that, that's the offer. The, the, the bowing down to Satan, it's almost tangential. Because God's people bow down to Satan when they accept the best that the world has to offer. That's all we have to do. Is center our lives around our own little kingdom and we're no longer bowing down to the Lord of the universe. Now, now I, I, maybe it's too strong to say it's tangential. It's one and the same. How's that? It's one and the same. Satan just wants to get God's people off track. Worshiping the created thing rather than the creator. And Jesus says, I won't go there. I may be hungry. I may be tired. I may be lonely. I might be in a place where I, I, I'm, I'm hangry beyond belief. But, but I'm still going to obey the word of God all the way to the cross because I worship him and I serve him only. Where do those words come from? The scripture. He has understood and integrated the Bible to a level where he can pass the test of worship. I do not worship the created thing. Even in this weakened state, I won't take the bait. I am going to worship the Lord my God, my Father in heaven. I'm going to serve him only. I'm going to go to the cross, and you're not going to stop me because I have bigger fish to fry in this world than the greatest things the world can offer me. I have been put on this planet by my Father in heaven to do righteousness. And that's what the word of God reminds us of. We have been put on this planet to do righteousness, to serve him, to do his will. And when we don't crack this thing, we can't pass the worship test. We will worship the created thing every single time. Because we're fallen human beings. We will fall off the wagon of God's kingdom and worship that which is not worthy of our worship and begin to serve things that are not God's. Jesus won't do it. He can't do it because this thing is deep in his spirit. So much so that when his parents left the temple when he was a young boy, he stayed there to discuss the scriptures with the old dudes. That's how integrated it was into his life. That's how important it was to who he was from, from an early age, more important than getting home to his Nintendo Switch. 
was discussing the word of God with the old guys. Integrated from an early age so that he could pass the test that he is meant to pass. So I know that many of you are in church today. I shouldn't say many. I, I know there's probably a few of you who are in church today because you want to be a better person and you want your kids to be better people. And that, that's noble on some level. But, but that is not what we're called to. And I, I know that, that, that if I could appeal to you today and say, study this thing and you'll become a better person. But that is not what we're called to. We study and integrate the word of God because our gift of life is at stake. We're either going to do the things that God put us on this planet to do or we are not. This penetrates dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. And if the only scripture you're getting this week is Pastor Matt's sermon I, I'm so glad you're here, but you got to go deeper. And if the only Bible reading that you do is at home, on your own, now and again, you got to go deeper. That's why every church worth its salt on the planet today has life groups, study groups, small groups, whatever you call them, because they realize we should be studying this with other people so that we don't become the boss of this thing. So that we don't become the boss of God, using the scriptures to our own ends. That's why we study with others. If you're new in the faith, then get in a group where you know someone will be teaching the word of God. If you've been in the faith for a long time, get in a group where you can bounce ideas and concepts and orthodox belief. That means right praise, right belief off of other Christians. But, but, but otherwise, the gift won't get used. Your gift of life for the reason that it was given. Jesus had the word of God integrated into his life because the enemy of his soul wanted to destroy all of ours. And the enemy of our souls is still out there in the world trying to destroy lives. The only way to redeem them is for the people of God to know the word of God, to integrate the word of God, to understand the word of God to a level that we can bring Christ to a lost and a dying world. So I ask you this simple question. Are you passing the tests today? Is that little voice on your shoulder saying, you've done enough, you don't have to do that? Right now it's happening to some of you. You don't have to do that. What Pastor Matt is saying, nonsense. You know enough of the scriptures. You've had some Bible stories given to you in your life. You uh, memorized some in children's church 30 years ago. You know some Bible, you're good. You don't have to listen to him. That's the rights test, and some of us aren't passing it even now. I don't need to study the word, and I certainly don't need to do it with other Christians. Are you passing the boss test? Have you and are you using this thing just to do whatever you want to do in this life? I know just enough of this to be dangerous and to justify my actions. And are you passing the worship test? Are you worshiping the created thing? Or could, could, could you look at your life today and say, you know what, I am worshiping and serving the Lord and Him only. Only Him. Only Him. That's what the Scriptures call us to. And that's what our Lord did. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please?
Lord Jesus, you are the Lord of the universe. You humbled yourself and obeyed even to death on the cross. And the Bible tells us, therefore, then, at that point, God exalted you to the highest place to give you a name that would be above every name. But you didn't become all of that until you integrated the word of God to the point of obedience. Oh Lord, would you convince us today? Would you convict us today? Would you compel us today to understand and integrate your, integrate your word in our lives? To say, there's so many other things we could be doing, but we don't want to abuse our gift of life. We, we want to use it for the purpose for which it was given. If that's your heart today, and God is convincing, convicting, or compelling you, in your moment of prayer right now, say, God, what would you have me do? What would you have me commit to? I can't become who you created me to be until I've understood your word. What do you want me to do? Father God, I thank you for your voice that speaks. It always confirms your word. I pray today that you would give us a willing spirit to match the voice of the Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, congratulations to you. This might be the most deep theological message of the whole year. And most of you were awake throughout the whole thing. So good for you. Would you stand with us if you are able? We figure, hit you real hard in week one of the year, then the rest is gravy. So, anyhow, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd send us from this place, ready to study your word to a greater level than we ever have before. We want to do everything that you've called us to do. So help us to be willing. Bless us now as we go. Amen.